0: You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett. And today we have Prashant Faloria, CEO of Funbox on the show. Welcome to the show, Prashant. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you on. I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of Funbox, um, but if if you wouldn't mind giving us a, a quick introduction of yourself and about the company, that would be a great place to get started. Sure. So I'm
1: perhaps a recovering product manager. I guess a tech executive turned CEO. I've uh, been you know, working in the Valley, the Silicon Valley, for the last two decades, mostly with the background and. The consumer internet space, so spent over a decade at Google and Facebook in the early days of both of those companies. Did a startup that was acquired by Yahoo and then joined Fundbox. Uh, I'm not a deep, deep sort of fintech person. I guess I do have some fintech experience. I built global payment networks for both Google and Facebook while I was there. But Fundbox is my first foray into credit. What is Funbox? Well, Funbox is a financial platform for small businesses with the mission of building tools that unlock growth for millions of small businesses. And we're perhaps best known for our working capital tool, which is a revolving line of credit that our customers use to unlock capital, typically capital that's tied up in unpaid invoices that they can then use to run and grow their businesses. We also offer term loans, and we've recently introduced a new product that lets our customers get more flexibility with their accounts payables. So making critical business payments like payroll and lease payments. And so we're in the process of offering more and more products on our platform and becoming an end-to-end financial solution for small businesses.
0: Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's helpful background. And I think Funbox has is, is established itself as one of the leaders uh, as a digital Lender to small businesses. So, Prashant, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what was out there in the market prior to Fundbox entering? W- when small businesses required working capital, what were they typically um, going out and, and finding? You know, maybe why wasn't it adequate, and, and what what did Fundbox uh, change the equation with?
1: Sure, I think it may be useful to set the context of the market that we serve. And so we serve small businesses and both businesses that serve consumers, but especially businesses that serve other businesses. If you think about a B2B small business, it's a very misunderstood and underserved market, which is extremely, extremely large. I don't know if you know this, Brady, but there are about 30 million small businesses in the U.S. today. About 20 million of those are actually B2B in nature. Although consumers like you and me, when we think about a small business, you might think about the grocery store or the restaurant around the corner, but there are a whole bunch of other businesses that serve that restaurant, the food suppliers, people providing staffing and cleaning services, for example. So businesses that serve other businesses have exactly the same challenges as businesses that serve consumers. But in addition, they have this additional financial challenge of invoicing their customers and waiting to get paid. And so if you were to add up all the, the invoices that are unpaid and due to a small business in the US, that's over $900 billion today alone. And that's what fundamentally we're out to solve. That, that is our, our market that we're, we're out to, to address. And prior to Fundbox entering into the market, if you were a small business that had money tied up in unpaid receivables, you didn't really have a lot of options. If you are much much larger, uh, you could potentially go to your uh, to your bank, national bank or local bank, and try to get some sort of revolving line of credit. But those folks, with their very antiquated and manual and expensive underwriting, really don't want to serve the smaller end of small businesses because this doesn't make sense. It takes an average bank about three to four thousand dollars to underwrite a business, and then it d- doesn't make it worth their while to serve a business that just needs, say, a few thousand dollars or a few tens of thousands of dollars in a of credit, for example. And so what are the other options? You could maybe consider factoring, factoring your invoice, but then factoring is very, very vertical specific. It's big in some verticals like trucking and transportation, logistics, but it's completely absent in other verticals like, like professional services, for example. And folks typically don't want to... Sell their invoices to a factor who then collects on their behalf because then someone else is coming in between them and their customers. So, long story short, not a lot of options out there, you know, other than like friends and family and your own personal savings and things like that. And so, really, Fundbox's uh, business innovation, if you will, was to identify and realize this enormous market of B2B small businesses that. That really don't have a a good financial solution for for working capital, and uh, and that's where we come in, and that's uh, that's sort of the core of how we built out our our platform.
0: Absolutely. So I, th- I think one one interesting point that you touched on is the cost of servicing these customers. Um, some some legacy banks might spend several thousand dollars at, at a minimum just to be able to underwrite a customer. Um, I'm curious what the experience is like for for Funbox, right? And then, can you explain why those costs um, are, are different between a, a bank and Funbox? Absolutely. Credit for small
1: businesses is quite different than credit for consumers. Even though there's a great diversity in consumers, it is relatively easier to put consumers on a on a scorecard, and if you're a a credit provider for consumers, you can use a lot of credit bureau data to make predictions or make credit decisions on consumers. Even then, consumer credit is, is, is barely, is just getting to be automated today. You know, some of the leading providers of consumer credit, companies that are, have invested in their AI you know, talk about 70% automation of decisions, right? and that's considered the high watermark. By contrast, just to provide the fund box perspective, over 99% of our decisions are automated. And that is because of our investment in, in AI. Now, why would, it, why would it cost a bank or a traditional financial provider several thousand dollars to underwrite a business? Well, because the books of a small business are quite different than, than, uh, than like the, the profile of a consumer and there's a lot of diversity in small businesses. So the, the books of a hairdresser versus the books of a small manufacturer versus the books of an accountant are all very, very different. And the way to address it, the traditional way to address it is really to have people who are skilled in this stuff, you know, auditors, uh, accountants, and, and also underwriters to really look at the financials of a small business and understand what's going on. And that doesn't scale because of the human and manual nature of it. So what Fundbox has done is really invest very, very deeply in our AI. So what we did was really require that any customer that, that connects to Funbox, that's that looking for, for capital from Fundbox or any other financial product, connect at least one business system to Fundbox. So what that means is you can connect your invoicing system, you can connect your accounting software, you can even just connect your e-commerce platform or even just your bank account, but we need at least one, and many folks connect way more than one, but we need at least one always-on real-time connection into your business transactions. And we take that data from your transactions and put that together in what we call a business graph, where our graph that we're building up as we go along is, has these nodes, which are small businesses and the counterparties that they trade with. And the connections between those nodes are the transaction. So A pays B, X invoices Y. And the more customers we serve, the wider and deeper our graph becomes. So today we already have over 12 million entities in our graph, and that's sort of getting wider and deeper every day. And so it's this very proprietary data asset, which is our visibility into the small business economy that we use and harness with our AI platform to make predictions about businesses and their transactions. And so, what all of this means is a completely different approach to looking at businesses. Our costs of underwriting are almost zero because the vast majority of our data is being provided by customers when they come to us and their interactions with our platform. It means that our predictions just keep getting better and better because our AI just gets better the more it learns, the more customers it serves. But most importantly, uh, it's, this, it's the experience that we're giving our customers because this is extremely simple and extremely fast. It just takes minutes to sign up. You get access to capital in minutes. And you get this very, very flexible product where you can, get, you can use the working capital in a responsible way for your business at any point in time. And so ultimately, it all comes down to the experience and the value we give customers that is underpinned by our investments in data and and technology.
0: It's really, really interesting. And you said so much that that I want to dig into. Um, So the the first question I have is you mentioned that you're connecting uh, to accounting software. Your customers are are connecting um, whatever system they're using um, to Funbox and you're taking in that data. You know, question is: if you're able to do that, right, and and look at these accounting software, um, presumably these small businesses have bank accounts, and those banks actually have the transaction data directly in their system, right? So, so why is your process uh, more efficient if if the banks should have the data too, um, without even requiring that integration? So there are a couple of things going on. We
1: see we see our customers across a variety of ecosystems. We're a horizontal player where it doesn't really matter to us whether you've got a bank account with Wells Fargo or with Chase or a small regional bank or a local bank. It doesn't matter to us whether you're connecting your QuickBooks or your FreshBooks or uh, or something else. You could be connecting your Amazon transactions. We're we're collecting data from customers across a variety of ecosystems and, and putting that all together. So a bank may have great visibility into business transactions for its customers, but only its customers. But what they're not seeing necessarily are the counterparties that they're trading with that could be part of another bank or working on some other platform. And so because of the very ecosystem agnostic nature of, of how of our technology We're able to work with customers that happen to be using Square as a point of sale system or PayPal for their e-commerce transactions or, or are just like getting paid by checks into their Wells Fargo account. And so it's a very, very different and very open approach to data. That's number one. The second thing that's hard is this is a hard technology problem. Could someone do it over time if they invested a lot of time and money and effort? Probably yes. But it takes a long time because not only do you have to build the data asset that you can use, all these variables that you can use to make predictions, you also have to learn how well your predictions are performing. And the only way you can do it is in the wild. You have to make predictions about real businesses, give them real money, and observe how they grow in the real world. And then over time, longitudinally, over the last seven years, you've collected a lot of outcome data that we can then use to continue to train and develop our models. So in theory, can anybody else do it? Absolutely, yes. Will they need a very high level of sophistication in terms of data science, and machine learning engineering? Yes. Will they need a fair amount of money and capital to solve this problem? Absolutely. And will it take time? It'll take several years for someone to build that out. So, and you know, during that and by that time we hope to be, you know,
0: five steps ahead of where folks would get to. Exactly. And, and so, so that you you gave me a nice segue to ask um, a a follow-up question too. I think, you know, our, our listeners are probably familiar how hard it is to build a brand in in the financial space, you know, very competitive, right. To, to get customers to understand who Funbox is, you know, what can, can you explain um, you know, the decision there between licensing this technology that you guys have to banks who are probably desperate for something to be able to process these these loans uh, cheaper versus building your own company, right? What what, what was the decision-making process there? That's an excellent question because we want to have the biggest impact.
1: We want to serve the largest number of customers. And we actually do that both directly and through partnerships. So think about the Funbox business roughly as sort of half of it being direct where people are coming to our website and... Or downloading our mobile app and we're bringing in customers through digital and marketing channels and direct mail and organic growth and all those kinds of things. In addition, we're also embedded inside many platforms that our customers use. So, for example, we're embedded inside of QuickBooks, which is a very popular accounting software, or FreshBooks, another accounting and invoicing system, Uh, or we're in Synchrony's Merchant Center. So we're also embedded inside of the experiences, inside of systems that our customers use. So our approach to acquiring and serving customers is both direct, and this is sort of a fully branded, you know, fun box all the way through experience, as well as partner experiences where, where we're providing the AI and technology, but also the user experience, which is kind of important in all of this, in a you know, it's in a powered by Funbox, uh, uh, you know, paradigm. So for example, if you were a QuickBooks customer and you were interacting with Funbox, it would be entirely within your QuickBooks experience. That We would be serving a page that is framed within QuickBooks. The look and feel is that of QuickBooks and it's only powered by Funbox. You never have to leave the QuickBooks experience it's all within its single sign-on. So it's within the same account. And... That's also a very powerful way for us to serve customers. And to your point, Brady, about kind of working with banks. We don't we partner with banks in a, in a variety variety of ways today. We don't necessarily have a fully embedded experience with bank partners, but that's something that we're very open to uh, because ultimately our goal is to have the biggest possible impact. And we know that we'll do some of it ourselves, but there's only so much that we'll be able to do ourselves. We will we do. And we will work with partners to serve more customers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you mentioned impact customers a couple of times. I, I have a, a follow-up question there. You know, number one, you, it's, you mentioned it's um, vastly cheaper for you guys to underwrite these loans to customers. So do customers um, experience lower rates on, on, the, on the loan? Um, and, and whether or not it's a lower rate, can you just kind of expand a little bit more on, on the impact to these customers um, and, and how Funbox is, is helping them out? Sure. I think we're, we see
1: stories time and time again from our customers. We hear them uh, around how we've been able to serve them in ways that really have helped them kind of manage and kind of grow their business and in ways that other folks have not been able to. Uh, sometimes it, it, it falls in the category of uh, customers that come to us who've not been served by their traditional bank. So for example, know, we work with a trucking company that's in the San Francisco Bay area, a very solid company with revenues north of a million dollars a year. And the owners were customers of a bank for more than 17 years. And over that period of time, they just made one, just one late payment, one single late payment on some financial product. And years later, when they applied for a loan for $75,000 for buying a new truck, they were denied a loan for that. And just because of one missed payment many, many years ago. And then they came to Fundbox and we were able to provide them a line of you know, working capital and they've been with us now for the last five years. So you see that kind of a story as well where, uh, where someone was just simply not able to get what they wanted from the financial institution. There are other, uh, other sort of experiences where, uh, where customers just find that working with their traditional financial provider to be very, very tedious. Uh, we've got a cus- customer in Nashville who runs his own financial services company, and he he found us through PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, because he was trying to first go through his bank and discovered that applying for a loan through PPP was as complex as applying for a mortgage. That's what he told us. He said, it's, it's actually easier for me to apply for a mortgage than get my PPP loan. So he loved the experience that he had with us, And then now he's a, you know, he's a, he's a customer using our working capital tool. Um, So we see these, these examples all the time. And I think it's a combination of access, people being, people being able to get this very, very, this very flexible product where, which otherwise they would not have been able to get access to. It's a, it's a combination of experience, right? Which is this convenience that they can, they can, uh, that they have, and the fact that it's embedded inside their, their, their business workflows. So it really, it really impacts our customers in, in very, very positive ways. And that's what excites us about what we do to see the, the real impact that we have on, on real customers.
0: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And you, you did mention PPP loans, right? We're, we're um, emerging from Covid. I, I don't want to. Maybe we should all knock on wood. Um, but we're recording this episode now in the middle of June of 2021. Um, so it seems like the recovery is is coming. Um, we're rebounding a bit. Um, can can you talk a little bit about what Funbox experienced? Um, and I'll let you take it. You know, whether at at the um, at the depths of of Covid and small business um, really hurting, or you know, if you just have comments on on this economic rebound that we're seeing now. Yeah, COVID was a big shock to
1: the economy and in particular, the small business economy in the summer of last year. And because we are connected to all our customers with real-time data connections, we saw it. We saw invoicing volume, for example, fall off a cliff. It declined by 35% you know, within weeks of COVID hitting. The good news for us was that we were able to manage very, very uh, tight control on our, on our credit operations. Our delinquencies stayed within a very narrow band. And while they went up a little bit in the, in the April May timeframe, they remained in the single digit percentages, came back to pre COVID levels by the end of the summer, and have been way below pre COVID levels ever since. By contrast, Many players in the space that serve small businesses saw massive spikes in their delinquencies and massive spikes that would be three, four, five, ten times as much as we saw. And those, many of those players exited the market either temporarily or permanently. And it wasn't just some of the independent players, even some of the large, uh, the, the capital arms of some of the larger tech platforms like, like a Square or a QuickBooks paused originations during COVID uh, because, of, because of these challenges. And so meanwhile, we remained, we kept originating to our customers, we kept serving our customers through COVID. Uh, and then coming out of COVID, what we've seen is that rebound. So our customer cohorts that, that reduced some of their activity because they had less of a need for working capital during some of those months of COVID have sort of come back with a bang and we're seeing incredible growth both in terms of expanded activity from our existing customers whose businesses are growing rapidly, but also from a whole bunch of new customers who've come in because uh, there is this this increased demand for credit as the economy expands. And this is at a time when traditional players actually just step back from the market, right? And so it's been like the the, the perfect opportunity for us to grow and and increase market share uh, in, in this economy coming out of COVID. So we're very excited about just growing our impact and growing our presence in the market and and see very, very strong growth uh, this year and in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and, taking that, I kind of want to ask you a few questions about trends that we're seeing in the small business lending market. Um, And I might put you on the spot on a few of these, but um, we did see last year um, Cabbage exited to American Express. You know, which which was probably great for a lot of folks at Cabbage, but it was a down round um, considering their evaluation prior to that. So, are, are you able to comment? I know you might not know exactly what was going on, but um, we we assumed that that was um, a market condition coming out of COVID. Can you comment on that and, and maybe how how Funbox you know sees that experience? I think that
1: the the pandemic and the downturn. It did test the actual depth and robustness of underwriting of many players in the space. It's relatively easy—I wouldn't say it's easy; it's easier—to grow and and do okay in benign econ- economic times, where uh, where even if your underwriting is not spectacular. The fact that the economy is growing uh, lets you sort of get away with it. And I mean, this is not a comment about cabbage in particular or any one player, but just a, a broader comment. I think that the the robustness of your underwriting, the accuracy of your predictions, really gets challenged when you hit a recession, whether it is a prolonged recession or like a shock, like we experienced last year. And I think that a lot of players just weren't ready for that. I think perhaps the best thing that we did during COVID was actually what we did before COVID, which was really bring on customers that we understood very, very well, where we had these deep data connections to and our investment in our AI to really be able to make predictions. And by the way, continuously revise those predictions as things changed. So we were able to flex our product up and down based on what would be responsible for our customers. And that just wasn't possible for a lot of other folks. So I think that the small business opportunity, the opportunity to serve credit for small businesses is enormous. It's still there, it's a huge market, it's vastly underserved. I think there is a distinction between B2C Where I would say that we're starting to see more of the larger tech platforms play a bigger role. So, if you're looking at a Square or a PayPal, or even a Stripe as a platform of platforms, you're seeing a lot of companies building an ecosystem of products. Take Square, for example. You know, centered around Square Payments, there is payroll and CRM and Square Capital, and there's a lot of that happening in the B two C space. And we play in that space as well. And as I mentioned earlier, our Differentiation is that we are ecosystem agnostic. We can look at your square data or any other data and give you access, if, if, if you're, give you access to capital. So if you're a small business that works across ecosystems, let's suppose you're both on PayPal and you're using Shopify as well. Well, that's fine for us. We can look at the sum for totality of your business and sort of serve you. I think the place where we really focus is on the other side, the B2B side, where there really isn't any sort of leading platform there. Um, I think this is still a huge opportunity um, I, I think that really what's happened is th- the first wave of innovators or the first wave, what you call call them fintech 1.0, did something good, which is they 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 did create internet-friendly front ends to their business. So acquiring customers online, letting them apply for credit online, which is which is a step forward. But I think where There was perhaps a lack of innovation was actually on the back end, which is the actual application of technology and in particular data and AI to be able to make great decisions. And that's something that a second wave of technology companies are doing. And by the way, Brady, this isn't the first time this is happening in the world. If if I go back to my prior experiences at Google and Facebook, Google was not the world's first search engine. It wasn't in the world's second search engine. It, it was one of the first 10 search engines, but there were many before it. But because it's fundamentally solved technology challenges that others hadn't, eventually it became the market leader. The same thing for Facebook as well. It was definitely wasn't the world's first social network. There were companies like Friendster and MySpace before it. But it solved some product challenges that those companies had. So I think in the same way, what you're seeing in the broader world of fintech is there, there, there are waves of fintech. and I think we've seen sort of one play out the first wave of fintech that that may have started, say, 10 years ago or eight years ago. And, and now we're seeing sort of the second wave uh, where companies are reinventing the entire end-to-end stack, not just the front
0: end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. And I appreciate the, those, uh, those comments on um, kind of, you know, how, how things are shaken out in the market. Another trend that we're seeing is a rise in companies' That are providing working capital in less traditional formats, if you will, so you know Clearbank up in Canada providing merchant cash advance, and we see pipe and and companies like Capchase providing opportunities for companies to i almost don't want to say borrow, but you know get financing for saAS you know committed saAS revenue, and I understand that those aren't your primary markets, right, whether it's an e commerce company like Clearbank serves or a SaaS startup like like Pipe and Capchase serve, but I'm curious if you have comments on the rise of these alternative products. You know whether or not related to Funbox and future product development, but just in general, if you have thoughts on on the the rise of those companies in the market. I think that there that there are interesting
1: solutions coming to the market that serve different parts of it. And if you think about the market, Brady, it's very 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 big. Right, we're talking about in some sense, the entire economy and looking at anyone that's not an enterprise, right? Like a small or medium sized business. And there's, B2, there's a B2C versus B2B distinction. There is within B2C, there's all sorts of uh, different flavors from point of sale to e commerce. And, and different companies have identified like different areas. And each of those areas you know, can be like an enormous market. Uh, some of the players, Players you mentioned tend to serve larger e-commerce you know, providers that are doing many, many millions of dollars in revenue. And that's that's a that's a great market. Uh, some folks you mentioned are looking at like SaaS companies, and that's a great market too. I think ultimately for any player, what's really important is one, you know, what's your product market fit, which I think people are trying to get uh, some good, good results on. But then the other thing is, what is your lasting competitive advantage? And I think that's where, you know, I think that's where I would encourage folks to, to just think about how to build, you know, durable and enduring businesses. And for Funbox, it's, it's actually pretty simple. We, we think our long-term competitive advantage is this, this network, our B2B network that's translating into this graph that we have, this data graph, and our AI that we build on top of it. And so the more customers we serve, the better we get. And it also gives us the ability to add more and more products to our So That's how we think about our enduring advantage. And I think for every company, I think mean, that's the question they have to ask uh, once they find sort of product market fit with their initial product. Mm-hmm. But, it's a, but, but what you are just seeing, Brady, is just the result of the, the digitization of of the economy, right? And that started 20 years ago on the B2C side of things with companies like, that succeeded like Amazon and companies that failed like Webvan. And we're now fairly far along, although there's still a lot of headroom in the digitization of B2C. And meanwhile, B2B is trailing that. It's perhaps 10 or 15 years, depending on how you want to count it, behind B2C. So what you're seeing right now is just the growth of, B2B in digital. And I think that secular shift in the market is just going to create enormous opportunities, you know, for a number of players, like including Funbox.
0: Yep, absolutely. I, I guess, you know, you, it's it's important to note that, you know, while you might be the first to market in a given area, um, the point you're making is to constantly make sure that your offering, um, just invest in, you know, back in, in the company and and uh, make sure that your offering remains competitive as the market evolves. Um, so, so uh, appreciate that, and, and I think one one trend we're seeing across fintech um, that that I want to get your thoughts on is you know kind of this this unbundling and rebundling of services, and at any given time, you know, different you know fintech people will say we're going through an unbundling or we're going through a rebundling. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly where where we are right now, but it does seem, at least with Funbox in mind you guys are looking at bundling services and payments, right? Offering your customers um, flexibility on payments to their vendors and contractors. Um, So I'm curious if you could touch on that, right? How how does Funbox think about adding additional new financial services to your existing book of customers versus, you know, just, just trying to expand your your market of customers using the products that you've had um, in the market for some time.
1: Yes, there is an there is a lot of thought being given to whether financial products can be bundled together or or unbundled, as you mentioned. And I think ultimately what's most important is what creates more value for the user or the customer. And frankly, the answer could be different for different kinds of customers. Typically, when you get to larger enterprises that have more resources and more time and that are looking for, for more efficiencies, sometimes unbundling products can be, can be successful. You know, A large enterprise might want to use the best of breed for or different applications. But especially if you're a small business where you know, you're, you're tight on time, you don't want to spend all your time in running the financials of the business, you actually want to run your business. I think bundling is a fairly effective strategy. And we've seen this being put to good use on the B2C side with companies like Square, which I think have over time done a good job of bundling a number of services. And that's something that we intend to do on the B2B side to provide more and more services to our customers. But I think the the one thing that people sometimes overlook is that providing more services to the same customer is not just a financial exercise of saying, hey, I spend all this money to acquire a customer. Now let me make more money, let me monetize the customer more effectively through more products. There's nothing wrong with that argument, by the way. But I think from a product person's perspective, I think it's a little bit more of a, how can we create even better experiences? How can we provide even more value if there are products that work well together? Right. So, for example, one of the things that we are just doing and ramping up is a product that we call FlexPay, which is a very simple product that helps our customers get some flexibility and peace of mind with their outbound payments. So think of yourself as a small business owner, Brady, and let's suppose you have to make payroll every week. And payroll is at like 3 p.m. on Fridays. And this is always a stressful time for you because you need to make payroll. It would be pretty bad if you weren't able to pay your employees on time. But at the same time, you don't really always know if you would have enough funds in that bank account that you used to make payroll on Friday afternoon. You're always asking yourself, should I transfer money from here to there? Should I ask my customer for a check so that I can get money now? Because I know I'll get paid next week. I just don't know if I'll have enough money this week. So we started issuing our customers' virtual bank account that they can just use with their payroll system or their bill pay system, such that when they make payroll, that transaction comes to us. And because we have end-to-end visibility into what's going on in the business, we can make sure that the transaction always goes through. So you're not worrying over the weekend as to whether you make payroll or not. And then we turn around and we give the customer a few days to figure out how they want to fund their transaction. This is a very, very simple, Product or feature or call it whatever you want, but it has this enormous impact on their their daily lives, and then they can decide in a few days whether they want to mix and match funds from different sources, whether they want to draw, draw on their fun box line, and and so it is a you can call it a bundling, uh, you can call it multiple product on the platform, but I think most importantly, it is it is a clear clearly valuable thing that, at least for some customers, they find incredibly useful uh, because it, it sort of, it combines, it takes the same risk assessment that you already have on the customer because they're looking at all their data, but just gives, just gives them another avenue, another way of being able to benefit from that. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. We just want to go systematically through who our customers are, number one, typically small businesses, and especially those that serve other businesses, what are their needs? Now there's, they need capital. They need uh, to be, to get paid faster. They need to be have more flexibility with their outbound payments. They want insights into their business. They want to avoid nasty surprises. They want to manage their money better. And then what 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 unfair advantage do we have? Like what, what's our competency? And at the end of the day, what Fundbox really is is we're very good at data and AI. Like that's the core platform, and we're very good at building simple experiences for our customers. And so where can we combine those, those advantages? Into building things that just help our customers.
0: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, and, and we could probably have a whole you know hour long conversation about all the the pros and cons of of bundling services. You know, kind of what it what it brings to the business. Um, but but you know, it's a it, it's a really interesting topic. Um, so Prashant, to to wrap up, I, I typically like to ask uh, for kind of a forward looking view, and, and you can either take it um, fun box specific or you know just in general about the market for. Um, lending to to B2B businesses online. But I'm curious if you could give some thoughts on, on where we're going for our listeners. I think one trend that is really exciting
1: that we touched upon a little bit in our conversation, but I'd like to just elaborate on a little bit more is this notion of providing credit in context. We're seeing this play out dramatically on the consumer side with all of these buy now, pay later platforms, both the, the independents like Affirm and Afterpay and Farna, but also Visa building out their buy now, pay later platform. And, and by the way, the architect and business leader for Visa's buy now, pay later platform recently joined Fundbox a couple of months ago as our COO. So we're very fortunate to have him on board. He actually ran all of uh, SMB lending for Capital One before that. But there's this tremendous buy now, pay later, credit in context happening in the world of consumers. I think we're starting to see that happen in the world of businesses as well. And something that Fundbox realized and recognized uh, over five years ago when we embedded ourselves into accounting software platforms like QuickBooks, like FreshBooks, where we realized that customers in their journey are often looking at their accounts receivables and then looking at that as a trigger point for how do I unlock capital from an invoice that I sent to Brady or, or something else. Like that is, that is, it is a very, very powerful construct. Not only does it put you right in the customer flow, it puts the customer in the right frame of mind to consider a credit product. It's an incredible customer experience. Now it's hard to do, For a variety of reasons, the experience has to be right. The the underwriting has to be right. But if you can do it, I think that it's very, very rewarding. So all the, you know, we talked about different kinds of companies trying to offer credit to customers based on some aspect of their business workflow, whether it's, you know, invoices or SaaS revenue or what have you. I think that there is going to be continued innovation in that that part, uh, you know, of, of the world. And it's going to impact the nature of credit products that you see. So I think you're, as a small business owner, just like as a consumer, you're going to see a broader set of financial products that leverage credit in ways that make more sense to you as a customer. And as opposed to, uh, so a very customer-centric view of, of, of a financial service As opposed to a view that's oriented around the the services themselves, right? As opposed to, oh, this is a bank account and this is a line of credit and that is a payment transaction and that is something else, which frankly, the customer doesn't really care about. They care about their workload. They care about their business. They care about their problems. And so more of a customer oriented view to these solutions as opposed to a, what are the building blocks that I have? Right. And that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. And I and I think that's touching on a few different things that we're seeing um, it, that, that, that are emerging in the market. You know, number one is is moving from, you know, uploading analog services to a digital platform, right? And truly creating um, a digital service instead. Um, so kind of moving away from from those services that that we saw before the internet. And then, you know, we, we're also just seeing a rise in embedded fintech. So offering services wherever that customer is. So Um, Definitely, definitely exciting to hear about. And Prashant, really appreciate your thoughts. It's been great having you on. Thank you so much, Brady. Thanks for having
1: me. And um, I really enjoyed my time here as well. Talk to you soon. Take care.
0: Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.